This podcast is recorded on the ancestral lands of the Tongva people. Welcome to the Create Well podcast, where we explore the intersection of creativity, wellness, and entrepreneurship. I'm Ray Saragosa, singer, songwriter, roller skater, children's music composer, and you can find my work on IG at, at Ray Saragosa. And I'm Erica Elon. I'm a painter. I take a lot of photos of a lot of people and the things that they make. Yeah. And I used to like work out with Ray, but now I have a puppy, so I'm <laughs> still navigating that transition. We gotta work out. <laughs> working on the puppy life balance right now. Puppy life balance. <laughs> so real. But you can find my work on IG at, at Erica Elon. And this week, we have the honor of sitting down with Alicia Martin um, and talking about creativity and mutual aid. They said if I want to make it, gotta starve and stress and sell. But if I'm gonna be an artist, well, I want to create well. Yeah, you gotta create well. Here we are. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! It's the first. We made it through the holidays. Yeah, we did it. Oh my gosh. It's the first episode of 2021. Yes. Oh, wow. I can't believe we're here. I feel like it is March or April. It's like wild that it is the following January since. I mean, it's going to be very soon that it's been a year of COVID, you know? No, I was thinking about that. And you and I met, I guess it was January last year. Yeah, it's our one year anniversary. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we need to like look through and like see exactly when we met and like do a whole we thing. Should. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, I'm going to find the photos I took of you. We didn't take yeah. any together because we weren't, you know, that kind of friend yet. It was right, like, it was a shoot. And I'm a photographer. <laughs> so professional. So professional. So professional. Oh my gosh. That shoot was amazing. Yeah. That was, um, Right when I got back from Folk Alliance, which was the very last, no, that was the second to last, like, live thing I did out of town. And so that was, like, maybe it was more like we met in February. That because I I got it could have been right at the end of, yeah, yeah. right at the beginning of February. It's a mystery. Yeah. Let's look it up. But to look it up. Oh my god! Right around now. So I know. Crazy. And then it was like, you know, so we soon. went into COVID, and when we went into COVID, we both kind of committed to making movement a significant yeah. part of what quarantine was yeah. for us. And I think for both of us, that really was foundational on how how quarantining yeah. has gone and is going. Yeah. And so yeah. you're such a gift. Oh Thanks my, I don't, I was talking to someone last night about how, you know, jarring quarantine was for me um, because I just yeah. moved to Long Beach January yeah. 1st. Um, so, oh my gosh, it's, I've been a year in Long Beach too. For wow. Real? Oh my gosh. I gotta do a post about that. Anywho. Yes. Um, so yeah, I had just moved to Long Beach January 1st. And I had just like started this, like turned this whole new leaf of like, I'm going to like have an apartment. I'm not just going to live on the road and um, I'm going to move to a new city. Um, I didn't know anyone here. Um, And even the first two months of living here, I was on the road for like six out of the eight weeks. So I hadn't hardly spent any time here. And then like, boom, March quarantine. 
and I was just like alone, no dog at that time. And no. so, so, so alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, you were my only friend, you and Ashley, who's my roller skate buddy, uh, were my only friends. Yes. Who, and both of you were new friends at the time. And so, wow, like looking back on that, I'm just really grateful, Erica, that mm-hmm. I know you and that we started this podcast and that oh, we like same. worked out together and. Oh, it's so much gratitude. So much gratitude. And like, I don't know. Yeah. The new year is always a good time to to reflect on what you're grateful for. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It so is. how did your New Year's go? Did you do you have do you do you have any like New Year's things you do every year? Or any rituals or Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're like, no. No, 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 no. Oh my no. gosh. For me, getting through the holidays is the best part of the holidays. Yeah. So I feel great in the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, the holidays weren't so bad because I was just training a puppy. And um, yeah. I love reading everybody. Like, I love seeing everyone's intention. And um, like we talked about before, like visioning yeah. and. And, you know, right now, all of the, like, kind of radical hope that people are expressing is really amazing. It's humbling. I'm learning a lot from um, that. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate all of that. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. What did you do? Um, Yeah. You know, I love New Year's because I love sending intentions and I love, like, writing letters to my future (laughs) self. And so, yeah, I had a great time with family and um, this new guy that I'm seeing. <laughs> Wait, um, I heard there might be an update. There was a rumor there was an Oh, update. my gosh, there's a rumor there there's an update. This is so it's fun. spreading like wildfire. This is so fun because, like, I mean, let's, like, you know, the, the podcast is new. Like, not all of my fans, like, listen to the podcast. As they, but they should. Right. They all should listen to the podcast. <laughs> But, you know, we'll tell them there's like hot gossip on it. Now, I know. So. I know. You know, like we're just going to turn create well into like gossip. Well, you know, like, <laughs> oh <my laughs> nah. But anyway. Yeah. So um, been like seeing someone. Um, I mentioned this in the last episode, like someone from my past that I knew like 12 years ago mm-hmm. um, that I had like a huge crush on 12 years ago, <laughs> like crazy crush. I was like 15 and I would like. I met him in an acting class um, that my dad put me in when I was 15. (laughs) And, um, yeah, anyway, I, like, never talked to him because I was so nervous around him because I thought he was so cool. And he's, like, this, like, actor. And I was just, like, always, like, doodling his, like, name in my notebook and, like, just being, like, so, like, 15-year-old, like, Ray. Yeah. And, um, anyway, yeah, like, came back into my life. Um, And... New Year's Eve, he, like, asked me to be his girlfriend. So <laughs> it's, like, official. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> It's the punchline. It's, it's so punch. sweet. And it's really funny because I was, like, thinking about, like, all, like, especially, like, everyone on my Patreon or, like, all my fans, like, who just have witnessed the, like, sappy, sad love songs I've written all throughout quarantine. Mm-hmm. Just being, like, I'm so lonely. Blah, blah, blah. And anyway... This is like now those songs better transition. Yeah, now I'm like hear some legit <laughs> love machine. I know, I know, and you know, I just like <laughs> have a really hard time like holding back. Like, I'm really happy right now, and I feel like I want to share that with people. I want to like share that. I don't know. Like, I you know, a lot of artists are like really, really like, 
I don't talk about my personal life ever to my fans. And like, mm-hmm. I'm like very separate. I'm just like that. I feel like the days of artists being like very mysterious and just like these like rock stars that we know nothing mm. about. is kind of over. And I feel like it's the stigmas breaking the breaking stigmas. The stigmas. <laughs> like there's, you know, I don't know. Like people have told me like, Oh, as a woman, if you tell anyone you're in a relationship, they're not going to want to listen to your music anymore. Like I get that. All, like, do you ever oh get gosh. that or hear that? No, I think I've never heard that, but you can feel it talking with galleries, talking with other artists. Like, yeah, that opening is really important, which is stupid. Isn't that insane? <laughs> no, this is like, we need to like unpack this because like, <laughs> Literally everyone has told me they're like, oh yeah, like if you're in a relationship, you should not mm. tell anyone or post about it because like big secret. Yeah, big all the all the like fans who like support you like for like weird mm-hmm. weird reasons, like right. oh like the potential. The potential like that <clears throat> that that door closing is somehow like not mm-hmm. like cute anymore. And I'm just like uh that's like icky like what like why it's icky and it's sexist and it's, it's icky and it's sexist and like super gross yeah and i had a conversation about this with um my friend uh madison malone who we featured on the pod before mm. this was a while ago um and you know she's engaged to her partner oh no she's not engaged to her partner she is married to her partner now but um yeah, Madison and her partner, Helen, and Madison told me, like, years ago when they were together, she was like, yeah, like, I go into meetings and, like, it's just they don't want to hear about the fact that you have a partner, you have a relationship. Like, that's just, like, not sexy. Like, they want to feel like you are this, like, 25-year-old, like, single Stupid. and free and, like, which is crazy because you can still be, like, a free, like, creative, wonderful human and also be like some like in a relationship anyway I'm oh like, yeah the root of it is creepy <laughs> it's like super gross right creepy so yeah uh-oh. anyway that's like a weird thing like yeah like everyone shamelessly tells me like never tell anyone if you're in a relationship because you're gonna lose fans and I'm just like uh, dang I don't know how I feel about that anyway I'm still gonna be mysterious in the like <laughs> Um, this is all the information I'm going to give everyone at this point. I mean, that'll be the mis- the mystery that everyone gets. But I don't know. I'm happy. And I feel like I worked. Yes. We did this on the pod. Remember my artist stigma post on the pod? Mm-hmm. August mm-hmm. something something. I sent it to him. Yeah. And it was like, I said, there was this whole artist stigma, like, that in order to be a successful artist, it's like career relationship, you know. And yeah. you had to pick one. And... I really lived by that stigma and really felt like that was true for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm still getting over that. And so anyway, I made this post about that stigma and saying I'm moving past that. And I want to like open up my heart and open up my like whatever, like my head and like my feelings to be able to be in a relationship. And yeah. that like, it's been like years since I, was in a relationship because of being on tour for so long and so anyway I have all I have the create well podcast to thank (laughs) (laughs) and so anyway look at that it was sweet success story it was very sweet it is really sweet I'm super happy for you I love how kind he is to you (laughs) yay people being nice to Ray so fun yes um um yeah 
So this week we had such a wonderful interview. Um, oh my gosh. With someone, I know we've both kind of been following the work that she's been doing. Yeah. Um, you've supported with some of your shows. Um, the company I work with, Thunderverse Hatco, has been able to support. Um, and we've just been able to learn a lot from the work that Alicia and her family, the Martin family, mm. are doing in the Gap, by the way, uh, area of Navajo Nation. Mm. And something that you and I talk about a lot, Ray, is watching our our friends acquaintances mm-hmm. loved ones who are organizers yeah. um uh and their incredible amount of creativity yes um, yes they're they're entre- they're like more than entrepreneurs <laughs> it's it really they're is like it's like it's like rebuilding systems right. <laughs> it's um it's uh, yeah it's one of those forms of creativity that really goes underappreciated in, in so many ways and, yeah. um, you know, to be a community organizer, to use your own creative imagination to, to mm-hmm. change like something so much bigger than yourself, you know, like entrepreneur, like, yeah. you know, just, you know, being motivated by like your own thing is like really great. But with mutual aid being motivated by like changing like the lives of so many people is yeah. really one of the most incredibly like powerful forms mm-hmm. of creativity. And um, I think that a lot of the folks that have changed the world are, are those that really funnel their creativity into mutual aid. And yeah. uh, what Alicia is doing is amazing. And I was just in tears listening to her interview and mm. wow, you know, how incredibly powerful it is what she's doing and to be on the ground and to be um, just, you know, so compassionate about and so passionate about her community and taking Mm -hmm. it upon herself to, to help. It's, it's really, really moving. And I'm just very excited about this interview and for all the listeners to listen to, because it is a form of creativity that I think then when people listen to a creativity podcast, they're not, it's not the first thing you think of. It's like, Oh, music and, and art and, and, and things like that. But no, this is, this is creativity. Yeah. So without further ado, um, I just want to introduce Alicia Martin, who's a chef, a mother, an entrepreneur and a community organizer. And in response to COVID, like we've been talking about, she pivoted actually from opening up an ancestral foods restaurant that she was planning and researching for um, for a, a really long time. And she pivoted into mutual aid work in the Gap Bideway area of Navajo Nation with her family, where they're daily delivering meals, checking in with elders, um, bringing traditional foods, um, bringing medical supplies, and showing up for the people that they love and the people that they know. So, Alicia. Hi, Alicia. Hi. Thanks for joining me today. I know you're you're super busy. You're constantly 
responding to texts and checking in with people and keeping your family rolling um, and problem solving. So I appreciate that you made time for this. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So can you start off by telling me a bit about the area of Navajo Nation your family's from? We are on the western edge, um, which is right along the Grand Canyon, north of the Grand Canyon National Park. So that's the area where our family has been for a super long time, where it's not even documented. It's um, There's no water on that side of Bodaway area. Mm-hmm. I think there's... They call it Echo Cliff. So that's kind of like where the land split. So on top of Echo Mm -hmm. Cliff, there's wells and things up there. But because of that split, there's no water really underneath Bodaway. And because of the Bennett freeze, the government did a land freeze where you could not develop anything on the land. You couldn't... um, build any infrastructure, water, electricity. You weren't even mm-hmm. allowed to f- repair your roof um, Really, for that area. So because of that, we have um, many homes that just need to be torn down and they need something different for a lot of the elderly. Um, and that's kind of the, sh- the struggle now is trying to rebuild after the Bennett fr- freeze has been lifted. Um, but while can we, you, can yeah. you tell me what the Bennett freeze was like, why did that come into play? Um, the government said that there was a dispute between the Navajo and the Hopi tribes over the land. Um, hmm. but the, the tribes tried to show that there was no dispute that they do get along and, hmm. and things like that. But, um, I believe the government pushes some things because they want to do things with the land, you know, like, um, they want to prevent us from getting our water rights because they have plans either for a dam or for their economic development on their side. So we're not really important. Their goal is not for the native people to thrive. It's, we don't want them to build on it so we could put something else there later. And um, so they said there was a dispute and then they froze like, there's like, oh, I'm trying to remember now, seven or nine districts that were a part of these land freezes. Um, mm-hmm. There's probably other type of land freezes on the reservation, but ours is called the Bennett freeze. So that extends mm-hmm. from all the way up to, uh, Kaibato, you know, some of those areas. Um, and they said because of that dispute, we're, we weren't allowed to build anything because the tribes right. are fighting. Um, so then we weren't allowed anything for um, it's a 58 years. I feel like I forgot all the information. <laughs> um so almost like 60 years we weren't allowed to develop anything and then anything that was already there was just um it just sat there uh so so when covid hit you don't have infrastructure you don't have you know access to good water um mm -hmm. 
and, and just difficult living situations already. So can you talk some about how COVID has hit that area? Uh, with COVID, a lot of families, just because of the economy and everything shutting down, more families went home and they don't have running water. They don't have electricity. So the simplest things as washing their foods, um, mm. you know, they don't have our washing their hands. Um, and because it, they only have a gas station and a grocery, uh, one trading post, they don't really have a grocery store. So right. because of the lack of running water, the lack of electricity, um, stores, they barely just got a small clinic. So they don't have healthy foods. They don't have a way to keep them fresh. They don't have a refrigerator. So they usually eat, um, shelf-stable foods, canned meats, which aren't really healthy, um, mm-hmm. you know, junk foods because they don't spoil all those preservatives right. and things like that, which is why, um, the reservation has is high in diabetes and, you know, heart issues, um, because they don't have those things. And with the water being taken away either by a power plant or by the dams, the, the natural springs and, um, things like that are disappearing, um, from the mining too. The, the mining for uranium ruined a lot of water sources, so we also have people who have um, birth defects and disabilities from those mining mm-hmm. mines. Um, so it's just like there was already so much there, but now yeah. with COVID shutting down all the jobs and everyone going home, they had no money. They had no way to uh, stock up to stay safe, um, and they were they were scared. Yeah, um, and then. Because of the land freeze, many there's multiple generations in the homes that were built before it. So then, um, it's just poverty all around in in ways. Right. The ways that they were able to thrive were taken from them with you know the mining, the waters, right. and um, things like that. So when we see someone get sick, it quickly spreads to a household of like. 11 are, um, we delivered some boxes to a household of 21 people a few days ago. Well, it's actually 18, two of them passed away from COVID and one was in the hospital. So, yeah. Mm. So we, that's, and that's, that's a daily, you know, that's what your day to day looks like. I'm, I'm so lucky to have glimpses into the incredible work that you do. Um, but it's heavy, heavy work. Um, mm-hmm. but there's this brilliant piece to it in that it's all been community based. Your family has come together with your community, whom, you know, your neighbors, um, your loved ones, and you've cared for each other, which I think is such an example to the rest of the world for what handling crises within communities can look like. Can you speak to the importance of community-based responses rather than, say, an outside nonprofit coming in and making decisions for your families? 
I think with us being from the area, knowing the families, knowing the people, um, we can judge the situation better. If we <laughs> go up to a home, we're not shocked by the fact that they don't have running water or the fact they don't have electricity. Um, we can assess it better um, where they're at, uh, who helps them, um, who is the one that when you check on the most, um, we can find their families a lot easier because we know everybody. Our, right, there's there, I'm sure. Yeah. Or we could call someone in the community to say, can you check on your neighbor? Like we, we already have those, I guess, contacts in the, in the community. So there's like, if there's two, two elders, um, and we go out to one, he has no running water, no electricity. And then there's another in the same situation on paper, they look the same, but one of them is a lot more stable. He can drive, you know, um, he's okay. But the other one, we know we got to, you know, frequently check on her because, um, you know, she needs a little bit more assistance. And, um, I think because my dad grew up out there and my stepmom grew up without running water or electricity, they know whose water is okay, you know, Yeah. instead of like, I think that's what kind of, I think that was kind of hard when we brought people from the outside, like, um, you know, Bob, uh, and Jordan, when they went with us and it was just like a normal day, we were, you know, joking and with the people, but halfway through it, you know, Bob was kind of like, he had to stop and he's like, this is like a third world country. And then for the first time when I'm driving through my own community, you know, I got pretty upset because I was like, it is like a third world country. <laughs> but it's just where we grew up and it, it's heartbreaking to realize the um you know the racial economic racism that ended yeah. up landed us here because when you're in it you don't realize it until someone from the outside points out things and you're like wow this is really not fair <laughs> Um, right. And like you said, not only is the economic racism at play, but the taking of every aspect that allowed your community to thrive before without the structure of capitalism um, is compounding all of that trauma and, and that situation. And a big thing was having my parents there because they speak the language and they know the culture, the traditions, what's respectful. Um mm -hmm. And all of that. And I think with Native people, they don't trust the U.S., you know, government. They don't trust a lot from the outside because they're constantly lied to. They're constantly forgotten. They're always protesting and it's been ignored, yeah. you know. So to have, you know, my family that they know that grew up there, they trust us. So we know how to handle I guess the trauma that's been done to them, mm -hmm. such as, um, you know, there was a meeting that we attended with some guy. Um, we, we were just curious, but he, they had a community meeting and they were telling them that we're going to bring you guys water, you mm -hmm. know? And then, um, one of the 
council delegates, he showed up there and after they were done talking, he said, you guys can't do this. You guys, you know, it's all a lie. You don't have that money. I'm a part of that project. Like, you know, so they, they're constantly rounded up by outside sources and told mm-hmm. these things if they just approve this money, you know, right. and it, it takes right. us who are educated, um, to come in there and protect them from signing the wrong documents or the wrong paperwork and giving up the wrong things. Um, yeah. Because much of our elders didn't go to school or they only speak Navajo. So when we bring someone like Bob and Jordan, and then they talked about showers and we don't make promises. We just show up right. with them. So mm-hmm. there's that huge trust. So the action, yeah, is a big deal, especially yeah. with, with native peoples. Mm. Yeah, I love when you talked about that. You and your family understand the nuance and the difference between maybe two elders that would look similar on paper, their access and what they have, but that you actually really know what the situation is. And I think that kind of speaks to the creativity of the day-to-day of what mutual aid looks like because you guys are like if you get a call from over here you put together this very specific box that's going to go to that family and this is what this family needs but I just love that your your whole family is responsive like that and that's creative um but can you can you talk some about the role creativity plays um as you um, all figure out mutual aid together. Yeah, I think that's the fun part is every mm. family is different and we think outside of the box. Um, when people ask what we need, we say, what would your family need? Because yeah. most likely there's a family similar to yours. Um, because what I would, rec- what I would automatically think of would be, you know, for me and my daughters. Um, but then one day someone sent a box of baby things. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot there's babies out there. <laughs> you know, so that's the the creative part is like, there is, we don't all fit in the same box. So that's the part of, we're always thinking outside the box. Every home is different. It's a lot. You have to have a more of a, I guess, open mind because there's someone that lives like uh, a travel trailer or there's someone that lives in a Hogan or someone that lives in a shack. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to assess a lot of things. And that's where my dad is super creative. He's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to call him Tinkerbell because she's a tinker. (laughs) So (laughs) I feel like he's so happy that now Mm -hmm. he can go to these houses and just like, MacGyver something up and to help them with water because there are no, um, you know, like if you're going to fix a pipe, the plumbing service has to have like a license or things like that. But with these homes, they're just, you know, they don't follow the same things on the reservation. No one's going to write you a fine you for doing something wrong. So he, he has to be creative because these homes are just thrown together um, mm. or they have like a shack where they take a bath. So, you know, there's a lot of creativity to that. And also with the food, 
So. Yes. Which you, can I just say, you're a chef. And I think, which is a food artist. It's so incredible. And the fact that you've pivoted out of necessity, but also out of what you're clearly incredibly brilliant at and your heart is in, you've pivoted into mutual aid. But food is such a central role of that. So yeah, tell me tell me about food and mutual aid and creativity. <laughs> well, I think the one thing about most chefs is that they they work with people who are struggling on the daily in society in the kitchens. Um, you know, if someone just you know got out of jail, got out of prison, they're like, and they're they're trying to fix their their life right. You know, usually they just jump into like a dishwashing job. Um, you find a lot of people are trying to repair their lives. And I think working with their hands and being a part of a team in a kitchen, mm-hmm. um, also when there, there's a mad rush, you have to not be distracted by the little things you have to have, you know, you have to control so much cause it gets chaotic in a kitchen. Um, so I've seen uh, a few chefs just step up for their community because they work for these people that usually get left out in in um in communities um so So it's just inherent to the the type of art you create yeah (laughs) that's amazing so that there's uh chef yazi who is um taking care of dinehozo which is more east of us so that's the thing that i'm proud about is that the chefs give back a lot of times um and for before i started this i was gonna be opening a restaurant and it was it's Navajo owned um and I was researching uh Navajo foods pre-colonial Navajo foods I want because a lot of that a lot of things passed down in our culture is by um oral storytelling so I wanted to start preserving these ways because we had elders leaving and you know it's gonna it's how do we preserve all these things? So, you know, I started doing some of that research and then the pandemic hit and the people that worked for me were the people that needed help the most. And, um, so then that's where I shifted over into helping the people. And the one thing I, we started learning is the, uh, ancestral foods that, were helping the most with COVID. Uh, there's uh, an herb blend called uh, Lightning Way um, that we've always had. And we started noticing when we gave those to some people and they seeped it or they simmered it and then they made a tea that they felt better. It seems like they started, their symptoms went away a little bit more quickly. And and there's blue corn mush and so all of this cooking and foods knowledge um it helps so much with us preparing the food the food boxes because that nutrition is one way to like fight back with the the virus um mm. and your body knows how to absorb natural foods rather than medications and things like that so we've just been really um, trying to add those in and also help the people in our community that gather these herbs, especially sage mm. and 
and things like that. So it's nice to pay them for these things that are within our culture that they recognize. And I think it's a different sort of medicine. It's um, mm-hmm. it's like the times now, I feel like it's telling people it's okay to be Navajo. It's okay to trust mm-hmm. your culture and traditions. Um, that was taken away, but you you know, especially the older generation was forced to rely on Western um, medicine and to throw out mm-hmm. what is um, their culture, you know, with the boarding schools and, and things like that. So it's like at the same time, we're bringing a lot of those things back with the, the foods that we try to get, get out there. Um, so that's, that's a really... I guess the the bright spot that I see coming back is, um, I did I don't know if they're surprised, but like, cook blue corn mush, grab that sage that's you know growing outside your door, that lightning yeah. wave you have it, um, and I know like when you burn sage, it also kills things in the air, and that's mm-hmm. you know that's why people sage their homes and stuff, and we also burn cedar, so we tell them you know, to do that in their homes, because especially mm-hmm. if, if like after we, um, when we deliver home to home, I had a little sage bundle. So I'll burn that in the vehicle. So if anything comes in, you know, that sage helps probably hopefully kill things in the air. So we, we practice a lot of our, our cultural and traditional ways that we pray with this. And it's, it seems to be if those who do it, fair better amazing yeah oh so what is I know you get this question all the time but I'm sure people listening are gonna want to know too but what is most needed right now and where can people support the work you're doing um our paypal that the finance yeah Yeah. that's which is paypal.me slash Ajuba Hassan, right? And can yes. you spell that for people? A J O O B A H A S I N. Thank you. Because and because what does that money allow you to do? Yeah, we get a lot of donations in, but you know, it's not consistent. It's, it's extremely mm-hmm. helpful, but usually there's always something that's you know not there. So then we can rush to the store um to go grab it but the main important thing is gas um because mm-hmm. if i drive out to let's say my dad's uh trailer out in gap that's like about an hour and a half maybe to get out there um so we drive easily over hours to get get to people um especially if they they are in the back country. Sometimes that's shocking to us um, how far they are. Um, and then, um, like, right now what I'm seeing is because of Christmas and all the packages, you know, uh, people will message me and said they ordered some VIX, but it's being held up. But we could run to Walmart and grab some while we're right. waiting for packages to come in as yeah. well. So yeah. that's that's. Ex- that's the most helpful. It also doesn't go bad. You know, it yep. can sit there. Um, and then the Amazon list, 
um, the the medications is the thing that costs a lot of money. And I try to show that on the stories. I think yesterday we spent like 400 at Walmart. So if, if it's low, then we, we just, we, we, we just go get it because we know people need it like right now. Yeah. Um, before the symptoms get worse, before they have to be in the hospital because yeah. the hospital is overcrowded. So if we could get them a variety of vitamins and, you know, medications, um, then we don't know how their body's going to respond to different ones. So the variety is best of teas, soups, and if they jam pack all of that, then, you know, most likely they won't have to go into hospital. Good. Um, well, good. Hopefully people can head over to the PayPal or maybe check out the Amazon wish list and definitely follow you on Instagram, both your personal page, which is a Martin 2727 and the page. And then I have one more question for you. It's really, really great to hear all this too from you, Alicia. Thank you again. But we ask everyone who we get to talk to, um, what does it mean to you to create well? Um, to create well, I think the main part of creating anything is the foundation, the mm. the values. Um, mm. With the Navajo culture, you're supposed to walk in beauty and um, you have to guide your thoughts to positive thoughts. Um, so if we make like bad jokes that are like, <laughs> let me see, like, <laughs> if you joke about like death or something, right. you're being dramatic and your parents will smack you and they're like, don't talk like that. You know, you're not supposed uh -huh. to talk negative. Um, so I think that's a huge part of um, a part of it, the energy you're putting into it, your the foundation. Mm -hmm. um, people matter more than everything. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that has to be the drive every day um because what's what's the point of anything if, if you're not taking care of each other um so to me that's that's what create well means is your mindset that goes into it your energy that goes into it uh when me and the girls will go like pick some some pine sap or you know the cedar beads we'll play like um you know some traditional music because you want to have that good energy, that good flow to whatever you're collecting. And then when you put it together, you want that energy to go with it. I think mm -hmm. culturally, that's what we truly believe, which is why, you know, laughter is medicine as well. So mm -hmm. we're always, they're always joking. Um, we, we try to make, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation out there, but when we're joking, it, it relieves some of that, it, sh it shakes off that um, stress or the sadness or the grief, you know, it's going to be there, but that's, to me, that's what it means to create well is your foundation, your values. It's just like, you know, when I see your paintings, what are you going to set behind it? It's going to set the tone mm -hmm. for the entire, the entire yeah. thing. So, that's true. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. And again, everybody go follow Alicia, follow the work she's doing. Um, this kind of, we have so much to learn from the community-based work you do. So thank you. 
Thank you. <laughs> and now for the Create Well Challenge of the Week. And this week's Create Well Challenge is to support Alicia or another mutual aid if you can. And if you'd like to support Alicia Martin and all of her work on the Navajo Nation, you can support her at paypal.me slash ajubahasin, which is A-J-O-O-B-A-H-A-S-I-N. Thank you for journeying with us in Creating Well. If you're interested in supporting us, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash createwell. Our Patreon followers will have exclusive access to monthly live Q&As, extra photo content, and giveaways. Thank you to our first patron executive producer, Susan Anderson Nelson. And this week's featured song is my song, They Say. For the elite, the wise and the old with the college degree. A $40 ticket and a $15 drink. They say that folk music's for the elite. They say.
sing 